Nation, episode 199, Breaking Kayfabe with Baldrin and Barry, the two best friends, three best friends, excuse me, Lou, that you didn't know that you had. Barry, we're all, you, me, the sweet man out by the bay, have recently had a little vacation time, and we are back, and holy shit, Barry, it is the day before this episode drops. We're doing it super early this week. We are, this is super early, and it's, uh, yeah, we are very, we, Actually, it's super really, late. What the fuck am I talking about? Early, late, Jeff, it's all the same at this stage, where <laughs> the fact that we've shown up and we're recording is exactly. almost a miracle. Considering the last month, we have, uh, we, we, we've been so disjointed on so many different levels with all the vacations, and then, you know, I, I wasn't planning on going to the gathering, and then, like, three days before, I pretty much solidified it, so good to be back though it's good to be back and i think i'm going to take a week or two off of vacationing and trips and maybe just relax at home for a little bit so you're going to take a vacation from your vacation is what you're saying do you ever notice jeff as you get older that you go on vacation and you do need a vacation from your vacation because you're that tired well you know uh i know that uh after we went on vacation my wife and i just uh, made a quick run down to the south florida area to visit some of our old haunts, uh, see some friends, hit a couple old restaurants that we knew uh, and missed. And uh, I know that you had made a rundown with Zoe down to Florida for a couple of weeks. Uh, Lou, I think, just went down the state uh, with his wife just for some some quality time away with Mrs. Kippelman. So it was just lovely, Barry. It was lovely, too. And you know what? It's uh, it, considering that, uh, you know, our salaries are so huge from breaking kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry. Voluminous, voluminous. Yes. You can go out of state. Sweet Lou can get some sort of villa or chateau in the Napa wine country and take the lovely Mrs. Kippelman down there. So it's great. You know, it's part of Lou the told of- me based on his salary with the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. That it was either going down state for some wine tasting, or it was Tahiti. Uh, we we're, we're talking, we're talking that kind of cash. And so and, here, and on Jeff, just so you know, whoa, whoa, it was whoa, whoa, whoa. O- it was only COVID and the fact that they're not allowing us in to Tahiti that stopped him because I believe that's where he would have gone otherwise. I think so. I think it's yeah. safe to say. So here on episode one ninety nine, among the things we w- yes we're one away from that magic two hundred episode, we are going to be looking into a match from the oh the venerable studios of WTBS as Ric Flair the Nature Boy is chatting on the microphone and who interrupts him and turns it into a match. Oh, that young studly Magnum TA Terry Allen. And I believe we'll have some pertinent commentary on that match. When the time comes for Mr. Rose, uh, I'm going to be discussing things that I may have heard on my trip down to South Florida, uh, uh-huh. vis-a-vis the court system. Yes. Uh, we're going to be talking Oh, Barry. Uh, I'll just throw this out there right now. Here at the opening. So a uh, quick story. So I'm talking on the phone with my sister the other night after we'd had dinner with uh, uh, our friends, uh, Greg Good and Bob McKeon, both not Patreon subscribers. F you to both of you for that. Uh, so anyway, but so I had dinner with the boys uh, along with the wife. Uh, we're going back to the hotel. And uh, lo and behold, we were uh, talking to my sister, Reen, uh, who is a Patreon subscriber, by the way, Barry. And uh, we're talking. Now, my sister has this image in her mind that Mrs. Bowder and I, that it's pretty much nonstop 24-7, let's, uh, you know, take it to plow town, if you get my meaning. So that's what she's I think, always, too, though. That, that's exactly, exactly what I think. Yeah. Pretty much that's true. But anyway, so 
you know, my wow, sister, wow. what are you guys <laughs> planning on doing when you get back to the hotel? Uh, have you got any wink, wink plans? And I said, oh, yeah, we're getting a bottle of wine. And then I'm flipping Mrs. Bowdrin over. And I said, we're going down the other road, if you know what I mean, Barry. Uh-oh. At which, at which point my sister <laughs> says to me, <clears throat> yeah, you're on speakerphone and uh, mom is listening. <laughs> at which point I hear, oh. <clears throat> uh, good evening, son. <laughs> yes, it's always good when you make a callous remark like that. Only find out that your mom, your sainted mother is listening to my somewhat nasty remark. Oh, Barry, was that a tad unnerving? When when you stop and you just think, so there's a woman who is in, in her 80s. That 90s, is, but, you know. You is she 90? Fine. I know you're dead. Right. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you've got a woman in her 90s. Last month. Listening to a conversation about her almost 60-year-old son wanting to have anal sex with his wife. Oh, my. And, uh, and oh I can just, my. Oh, my. <laughs> Oh my. So Ooh, this is like an episode my. out of the villages right now. Like this is coming from the villages. I, you know, I don't know, oh, but, boy. uh, so yes, that yeah. was, uh, it was a good time. So, uh, let's, let's go a completely 180 degree, uh, opposite, uh, oral good sex new- conversation. Now. No, 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 no. This is All right. not talking about nasty things. We're talking good right. things. Uh, Benji, this is the part of the conversation where you can turn it up for Antonio because Barry, I was very happy to see that our good friend Benji Fido, who is a Patreon subscriber, uh, putting it out there that Antonio, our uh, number one listener here on Breaking a Paper Bowdrin and Barry, off the feeding tube, Barry. Off the feeding tube. And Benji, Benji and Antonio, we should say too, Antonio is arguably the everybody loves Antonio. This is the most popular person. I want to say not just in our Facebook group, but possibly in the whole brothership, mothership, in any form of anything. Sistership, uh, sistership cousinship, cousins. The, the cousinship. I think that's McAdams' group. Okay. That's it. Well, it will be now. Now that you've said it, right? It'll be uh, somebody will wind up using that. But he's so popular. He's just such a wonderful kid and loves everybody, and everybody loves him. And I'm I'm so happy to uh, to hear about this too. And I know you know that one of the things I have so much respect for Ben. And uh, and and Antonio's mother, you know, this has obviously been a really, really rough load and love has kept them all together. And uh, this is such a milestone, Jeff. This is such a huge thing. Uh, and I'm super excited for them. I couldn't be any happier. Let's give the Fido fam, Barry, a breaking cape, babe, round of applause. I think Absolutely. we can all agree on that. Thumbs way up, not just to Antonio. Uh, but to his mom and to Benji, uh, Antonio's sis, uh, the whole family coming together and doing the good, good work. And we're so, so happy for you and continued good health for Antonio. So, Barry, uh, just to round this out, I'm going to also uh, we're going to talk about this date in CWF history, as we do every week. We are going to be uh, discussing Barry's recent trip to Charlotte for the Fan Fest reconnecting. Uh, Barry, I, I did want to ask you before we get, we'll, we'll go to that first. I tell you what, uh, okay. and I'm also going to talk about something I did recently on my vacation. It was super fun. Uh, sure, Barry, a- I noticed anal sex, obviously. No, no, so, not yeah. anal sex. Sure. Uh, no, there sure. was no. 
Let me clarify. There was. (laughs) That is a road that will not be traveled. (laughs) Suffice to say. But, wow, it's the anal sex episode. Yes, Um, I noticed that uh, you were accompanied by a uh, a rather uh, curly-haired young man, goateed. Who is this this will-o'-the-wisp that I used to know as a young high schooler? Who is this kid that, that that Zach has turned into with the, uh, dare I say, Tom Pritchard mid-90s hairdo bear? He he is. Uh, actually, he's me at 20 years old. That's exactly who he is. We are almost identical. Uh, now, do, so I just want to know, levels. does Zach go around pushing on the fro saying, it's not my fault? Like, <laughs> he could. Say? Well, here was the funny thing. So we went to Charlotte. Uh, and Zach and I, I guess, have been discussing a possible haircut. Now, he had a haircut scheduled for this past Saturday. Obviously, we were in Charlotte, so he had to cancel. But we were talking about it, and he was kind of unsure. And he was like, what do you think? Should I do it? And, you know, he's 20. I'm like, I would probably do it, but it's your hair. Do what you want to do. And the time uh, from the day before we left from Charlotte and the day we got back, he must have had 10 people say, you have the most awesome hair I've ever seen. There were strangers that came up to us in Publix, strangers that were coming up as, to us. And these were generally attractive females saying your hair is awesome. Which makes it better. It makes it better. And also clear to say at this stage that he will not be cutting his hair anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, he is. Uh, he's grown up, Jeff. You saw him two years ago, uh, three, almost three years ago. And, uh, you know, right. He was a high schooler and. Now he is a college kid with a massive, almost uh, artist Gilmore-like fro at this stage. And making foot jokes with Tony Atlas. Go figure. So. Was that so? That was so. We didn't. Here was the great part. We did it. He, you know, in the old days, Zach would be like, "I want to get a photo with this guy and this guy," and we didn't do a lot. We got a couple photos, and I'll talk about it. But for the most part, we really didn't. We had a, a vendor table that we shared with uh, the professor Pete Letterberg, which you know, longtime friend for both of us, and uh, we didn't do. But with Tony, Tony was a really. He had a table right near us, right, really right across from us, and was really engaging and friendly also a great artist i believe it was uh somebody in our facebook facebook group mentioned today that they had compared art with him tony i don't know if you knew jeff he's not like a doodler this is this guy's a legitimate artist like he's really you'd be shocked at how good his art is he's really good so really engaging uh very friendly and of course you know tony is known for the laugh there are a couple of videos uh on youtube one is i think it's a six or eight hour loop of Tony just doing the laugh. The other one, which you'll appreciate even more, is there is a Seinfeld Tony Atlas laugh mishmash and mismash. Mismash. It's easy for you to say. No, no. Clearly, clearly, clearly super difficult for me to say. But it's hysterically funny because, you know, Kramer will do something and they put in Tony Atlas's laugh instead of the audience laugh track. So I, you know, Tony and I had uh, had talked a few times throughout the weekend. He's aware of the fan fest in Florida. And I went over and I said, hey, would you mind if my kid just sat next to you and and you just laid out the laugh? And he said, I would love to do that. So Tony came up with his own jokes and did the laugh. And I got to tell you, that's me holding my phone, recording it. 
And you'll notice when Tony starts with the laugh, my camera goes up and down a little bit because I'm laughing. It's hysterical. He is such an engaging personality. Uh, I clear to say future CWF legends fan. Oh my. Oh my. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Pins but you're always willing to shell out the big cash for the star guests. He doesn't know yet. So this is a, this is he just is a, between us. A, yeah. Just so, between so, so, us. Let me, let me, now let me ask you a question. I don't mean to interrupt your story sure. here, but, uh, fairly well known, I believe within the wrestling community that Tony and your hero of your youth, uh, Rocky Johnson, perhaps with a eh, tenuous relationship. Was that broached in your conversations with Tony? No, it wasn't. It wasn't, okay. uh, you know, and, and clearly Rocky, Rocky did have some Rocky relationships, horrible pun, uh, with a few people. And Rocky could be a very polarizing individual. I did not bring it up, uh, but they, they were able to rectify and uh, they did a few fan fests and signings together. And I oh, think good. No, I'm glad the last couple of years, uh, yeah, they were able to come to terms with uh, whatever the issues had been between them. But really, he was a surprise because he was such a super engaging guy. But let me tell you, who the biggest surprise and who I was blown away with on every level at the fan fest as a name, Jeff, you could sit here and go through the list. You'll never get it. Action. Mike Jackson. Really? So, the so venerable yeah. TBS, uh, uh, underneath talent, a longtime Alabama junior heavyweight champion. I believe it's he's the perennial Alabama junior heavyweight champion for the last uh He is to that years. title what Mill Mascaris is to the yes. IWA belt. Yes. He had it with him. He had it with him. So we actually talked for a bit, and I mentioned uh, that we do a podcast. He's a super friendly guy, like just the nicest guy. And I mentioned we do a podcast, and I mentioned that we had mentioned his name on a recent Patreon episode. If you remember, I brought it up to uh, – to Roop when I said you used to you had a tagline every week when Mike Jackson would would wrestle you'd bring up if the man was four inches taller and 40 pounds heavier I'd ask him to be my tag team partner so he said he looks at me and he goes you still speak to Roop and I said we do and uh, I gave him Bob's phone number and I believe they've already connected which is great but th this is such a first off just a wonderful human being it's so just salt of the earth down to earth. And then Jeff, they had a wrestling card, which I will talk about, which I got to tell you was actually really good on, on a couple of levels. And he opened up the card, Mike Jackson and almost 72 years old opened up the card. Mike Jackson was doing flips off the top rope. Mike wow. Jackson was, yes, he was, let me, and I'm going to say this and it's bizarre Mike Jackson is better today than he was 40 years ago on TBS with the way he, what he's doing. And he's uh, he goes to the gym. So he's in amazing shape. The guy, I mean, he's muscles. He's got muscles, which if you remember back in those days, he wasn't muscular. He is he could, in my opinion, you know, put on a mask and he could go work. And I think he was on Impact or AEW a month or two ago or a couple months back. He could go work for a company. Uh, and he could pass for a guy in his forties. Easy, easy. Like there was no, you know, protecting Mike Jackson because it, he's in much better shape than 99% of the, the population in the U S I believe. Are right? you saying that he's in better shape than you or I, absolutely. my friend? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not too hard to do. Go ahead. I have an arthritic hip a little bit and some days I, it takes me a few minutes to get going. Mike Jackson is out there doing fucking tope suicidas <laughs> at 72 years old. So thank you, guy, Tony Schiavone. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So it was uh it it was literally he was just astounded and just what a wonderful human being and he would take the time. He took the time just to come over and talk with us a bunch of times, but I loved him. But this was so much fun and I we spoke a little bit about this off air and you know, it, this is a weekend of friendship, a weekend of wrestling. Uh I was happy I was able to make some money while I was down there with the vendor table and of course eating plays a huge part in it, but Really, the highlight above everything else was being able to hang out with wrestling people again. And it's the first time since this pandemic started. For me, I think it's the first time since November of 2019, which was the last fan fest, that wrestling people were able to get together and just talk and just bullshit and just be yourself and just do all this stuff. And and it was so amazing. And I didn't realize there were two realizations that came from that. One was I truly didn't realize how much I had missed that, how important that was to me uh, in my life. Uh, and the second aspect, I just forgot because I am getting old. So, but there <laughs> was, I'm sure it'll come to me at some point. But so, it, okay. So you, you had uh, good times with Tony Atlas, good times yeah. with Mike Jackson. Yes. Uh, without at first revealing the names, was there anyone, no names yet? Sure that you saw that you, know, you were maybe a little disappointed in your interaction with them. Was there somebody that I was disappointed? Cause in we like to break cave babe here. I don't know. If we you do know like to here. break cave. I don't, uh, there, as far as the wrestling talent, there was nobody that I, that I was disappointed in saying hello to. I, and let me also go out on a limb here. I got to meet Lex, Lex, Lex Luger. And, I I've said this before, you know, a lot of guys in the business will have the, the proverbial come to Jesus and, and Lex, he literally had a come to Jesus. He did. He's literally born again. And I, I believe I have said it because I felt this way that I, I believe it's legit. And I, I believe he is a, he's a much different person than he was you know, 15 years ago, certainly 20, 20, 30 years ago. And we got to spend a few minutes with him and he is a warm, engaging, thoughtful and sincere human being. And, and, you know, certainly his life is dramatically different. He is in a wheelchair. He's, you know, he's got a lot of muscular atrophy and, uh, this has just been a, a really, really tough road for him. I believe he lost all of his money, you know, just it, life was really difficult and whatever it is, whether it's religion or anything, whatever has made him, uh, who he is today, it, it's a great thing. And I, I gotta tell you, I certainly was critical of Lex, Lex Luger, you know, not just in the ring, but as a human being years ago. And, and I think he would have, he would have agreed with that. And, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful person that I, I hope uh, can get whatever he wants out of his life moving forward in some degree. Uh, but I think as far as the talent, everybody was super friendly. Sam Houston's another guy too. So Sam Houston, there, there's a guy that's had a rocky road over the last 30, 35 years. And I think a career that was cut short uh, for a couple of different reasons. And, uh, you know, his, his issues are, are out there. They're out there. And in public, at the end of the night, he wrestled. And I, I got to tell you, physically, he blew up a little bit. But physically, it looked like Sam Houston from 30 years ago. Like, you know, he he's in great shape as well. And we were we 
we stayed in the building in the the room. It was actually in the same building where the fan fest was. We stayed in the the room where the matches took place, and it was myself and Zach and Roman Gomez and uh, uh, Terry Holbrooks and a few other people. And uh, pretty much everybody had left. And Sam Houston came out, and he got in the ring, and it was this the most amazing sight because. He didn't, he didn't say, didn't talk to anybody. He got in the ring and he looked in the ring and he walked to all four corners and touched them and then climbed up the ring ropes and just stared out. Like you could see this was a real moment of self-reflection and and it was really huge to see that. And, uh, when he was done, when he left for the night, he, anybody that he encountered on the way out, he thanked them for coming and said, well, I see you tomorrow. I, I really appreciate you. And that was a really, you know, because you know what it was like in the old days, Jeff, and sometimes what it's even like now occasionally. There always was this lack of respect for the fan. And we've talked about this. You know, there there was a lot, you know, mark this and mark that. And uh, there was this, la- and to see at this event the respect that a lot of these guys have for the fans and understanding at this stage, you know, Sam Houston, he's 57 or 58. Obviously that career is at the very tail end, but understanding now, you know, that the fans are super important to your success. And, you know, without fans, you don't have much, you know, and it just, it was a really, really surreal and touching moment. And, and the group that I was with, we all kind of, uh, we all kind of picked up on that, and that was great news. Uh, there was some sad news, though, and uh, this this was broken. So on Saturday night, I take it back, this was Friday night, uh, it, they had an awards banquet, and I did not attend the awards banquet, uh, but uh, Steve Kern had just received news about the murder of Brian Blair's son, and this was Brett Blair. And apparently he had been murdered. And Jody Simon, Joe Malenko, as you know, Jeff, you've met Jody a bunch of times. He is a, I believe he's a reserve deputy in Tampa. And uh, unfortunately, he was, I guess, notified and was able to uh, to confirm that it was Brian's son. And the news broke and then Steve got the news. And Steve, Steve and Brian are the best of friends. And I'm pretty friendly with Steve Kern. And Steve and Brian are, are the best of friends. And I believe Steve was like an uncle to uh, to Brett Blair. And, and Brett has had some issues. I don't know the details or anything, but Brett's had a, some issues throughout the years. And uh, he had been murdered. And uh, Steve was really shook up. Uh, and he said that he goes, I'm up here to, and I, you know, I'm paraphrasing cause I actually heard this secondhand, but Steve said, I'm here, but I got to tell you, uh, I'm a little out of sorts. I just got these, this horrible news and he broke the news. And then I was able to speak with Steve afterwards and, uh, he was, he's devastated. You know, it's, uh, obviously it, that's just a, a really, really tough thing. And, you know, it, Brian Blair is, has had some, uh, you know, there's been some issues with Brian or, you know, it's none of my business at the end of the day. As most people, these sounds like a lot of these were private issues. Uh, but at the same time, this is such a horrible tragedy. And Brian, I think, had just had back surgery a couple of days before. And uh, and Buddy Colt, you know, we lost Buddy Colt a few months back to suicide. And Buddy was a the second father to Brian Blair. And he was he's one of the guys really responsible for bringing Brian Blair into professional wrestling. And it was their friendship and their love. And, you know, between Buddy Colt, uh, his back surgery, and obviously, you know, the devastating 
loss of a child, I, uh, it's really sad. And I offer uh, my deepest condolences to the Blair family and no parent should ever have to go through this and whatever it is that, you know, that will help Brian and his family, whether it's something spiritual, whatever it is, I hope that they can find peace in some form. Yeah, no, that's, uh, uh, something as you, uh, very clearly said, and that's something no parent should ever have to, uh, go through, have to face. Uh, I was, uh, I was reading an article about that. Uh, uh, apparently he was, uh, he was named out the, the son was named after Bret Hart. Yeah, uh, just a, a different. Spe- apparently, his wife, uh, uh, Brett's mom, d- insisted on uh, sp- spelling Brett. He said, "Okay, I'll take Brett, but I just want to spell it a certain way." So, uh, yeah, a little wrestling connection there too. Uh, so, yeah, de- definitely very tragic news to uh, to close out the uh, the fan fest in Charlotte. I'm glad to hear that there wasn't anyone uh, being a little bit uh, full of themselves, uh, if you will, and that uh, everyone was treating the fans with respect. And uh, that's that's very good to hear, uh, you know, and, you know, you were, you were talking about uh, Sam Houston and uh, some of the uh, some of the problems that he's had in the past. And uh, they were very well documented on the uh, the dark side of the ring uh, issue. Uh, but I got to tell you, you know, uh, mid 80s, uh, around that time frame, uh, he was a young uh, kind of skinny kid, but he could go in the ring, Barry. Sam Houston was, he was a hell of a fucking worker. He really was too. And I got to, so I got to tell you at the time, I, I, I didn't like him. And a lot of it had to do with the, the two stepping in the ring. I, I was, I've never, I guess, been a fan of anybody who dances in the ring. I hated Alex Wright when he did that gimmick. And I, I just, yeah, I just, I never liked it, but yeah, he could go. And he was also, you know what he was like, Jeff, he was like a, a Barry Windham in a sense that you had a tall, skinny kid who could take a fucking hellacious beating, uh, yeah. and make it look real. And he was great with that. His daughter now is daughter is a wrestler named Samantha star and she was managed by baby doll and uh, she actually won her match and she's good in the ring but a real strong point is her personality and her charisma this kid is a natural heel and I don't know if she'll ever you know get to the main stage I can't tell you she will or she won't uh, but you know she doesn't have I guess the look that I think Vince is looking for but she came out and she was cutting promos on fans. She was cutting promos on her opponent on dark journey and, uh, dark journey had no comeback. The, her opponent had no, like they were all taken aback. It was, they were way over their heads with this. This kid was cutting a promo and then cutting promo on fans going back to like Ric Flair days, like insulting fans. And it was great though. It was so great to see it. Uh, but I, so I've got, a couple other things I, I definitely want to talk about with this. Uh, actually, I have three. Let me do this one quick, and then I'm going to ask you which one you want to hear first. So David Schultz did a and a So when we, we found out about uh, Brian Blair's son being murdered, Ken Resnick was the host of the David Schultz Q&A. And uh, he came in and said, I apologize, but this news just broke in the other room and he told everybody and, you know, obviously everybody's very taken aback. But David Schultz, there is a national treasure right there. And I've been seeing stories over the last couple of years where people are like, you got to get David Schultz, man. He's great. David Schultz is great. David Schultz, zero filter. Uh, which is great. 
And uh, David Schultz likes he's very he appears to be very honest and open. But he was telling not, you know, he, he went through the John Stossel story multiple times, uh, which I guess, you know, that's the first thing everybody asks, which you and I always try to avoid the repetitive questions that people ask. But he started talking about Vince McMahon and it clear to say not a fan of uh, Vince McMahon <laughs> which, on every single level. Yes. And, and to tell you, you know, I, I would start to tell you what the profanity with that was being used, but I'm not even sure I would go that route right now with the words that were being used. But anyways, I do have two two other things that I want to touch on. One is and I'll let you pick where you want to go first, Jeff. Uh, one of those is discussing the food trip, the food portion of Charlotte, because as everybody knows, uh, I that that's my deal. And I got to tell you, Jeff, a couple people came up to me first off. There were a lot of people that came up to me when I say a lot, we're talking a couple of dozen that came up to me that I had never met. I don't believe I had had a ton of interaction with these people and I don't even remember their names, but they did say love the podcast. And generally when somebody says that, I always apologize <laughs> for whatever, whatever's offended them because that's the way the world works. And, uh, but I, they, a bunch of people are saying some of their favorite segments, Jeff, are when we talk about food mm. and I just, that really, yeah, that, you know, of course for me, I get all excited. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. The second thing besides food I wanted to talk about is there was a certain female valet there who was very attractive in the 1980s, who apparently someone may have made some sort of blowjob reference to on a national pay-per-view well, enough about Oban Johnson. Oh, no, that's not right. Oh, it was Oban there. He, Oban, Bobby he was sitting was next there. to me. <laughs> yes. So in any case, uh, she has an I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but she has an affinity for younger men. She's not into guys our age. Oh. She's into younger men. Well, she took a certain liking to a kid with a really big fro. Oh, so, my. So you tell me what you want to hear first, whether it's that story. Oh, I, or I'm going to have to hear about that first. <laughs> Fuck the food shit. <laughs> Fuck the food shit. So, uh, so Missy Hyatt, uh, so I, okay. So, and I should, I should, so Zach has been staying with me while he's home from college. So I should pull him in for this and I might afterwards, but he's in the other room. So, uh, we, we arrived Thursday night. And I and I have to pray at this point, Missy never listens to our podcast, but we big we, fan, big fan. Uh, She's oh, a okay. Patreon subscriber. <laughs> well, at least she is. All right, there you go. So uh, so we arrive about five thirty six o'clock on Thursday night and we go right to the hotel and uh, my old friend Michael Elliott, who does the high spots documentaries and everything is right there. And he said, hey, come on in. We're we're filming with Missy Hyatt right now. And they were doing some sort of live auction of her goods. So we go into the room where they're doing this. And I kid you not, Missy is uh, auctioning off her used panties and her bra. Oh, so, so we walk in. So Zach is Zach, you know, he's really confused. He's going, is she really selling is I should say, is this woman really selling her used panties? And then he types, is this Donatella Versace? Now, if you're familiar, she's, she's Versace's sister. Yes, yes, yes. There you go. Uh, I know exactly so, you're talking about. Yes, you do. So I said, no, that's Missy Hyatt. And he makes the face like what? And then it mouths the words, holy shit. 
So, uh, so we, we, we give this five. Let's see if she does listen, That's we'll be extremely <laughs> pleased to hear that yes. she's been compared to Donatella Versace. Yes, I'm uh, sure. Folks so. right now, but pause the show, do a quick Google search on what Donatella Versace <laughs> looks like. And oh boy, is Missy not going to be happy with she that? She would not be happy. And this was, this was really sincere because he had no idea who this was. And when I told him it was Missy Hyatt, he was shocked that it was Missy Hyatt. And look, Missy's had a little work done on the face. We're all aware of this. This is not a uh, this is not breaking news. But to him, this was a, uh, a kind of a shock. So, uh, so in any case, we we gave this five or ten minutes, and I was like, we should get out before we left. Though she was uh, this, and I think this is why we left. She was talking about how her last boyfriend had broken up with her the day after Christmas, and she was upset because she had given him a lot of really nice gifts. The boyfriend, Jeff, also 22, 23 years younger than than Missy Hyatt. So this is where uh, I knew that she did like younger men, but she really does like younger men. Uh, so uh, the next day, we get into the elevator, and I we have Ozzy, and there's Missy Hyatt. So you've got me, and I look like maybe a thin Ernest Hemingway. You've got Ozzy horrifically amazingly cute dog with a great personality you know fantastic and you and got his prime in his prime in his prime and you got zach so she starts talking to zach in the elevator about the night before and is he feeling better because they were rolling around on the floor together so i'm i'm listening and i, I have no idea what she's talking about it turns out in a later conversation with Zach, he has no idea what she's talking about. But as this conversation is taking place, she is touching and rubbing his arm. So she says something and that, and this is, this was the greatest thing ever. She says something. And then I say to her, Missy, you still look great. And she looks at me and with her hand dismisses me. <laughs> I just <laughs> totally Fucking, it's the back of the hand and just waves me off and just like that and continues to rub his arm. And will I see you later tonight? So she gets off the elevator and I say, to, I look at Zach and Zach goes, I don't have any idea. I have no idea what this is about. So yesterday before we're leaving, we're at a table. There's four or five of us. Guess who comes over? And immediately makes a beeline for the kid with the twelve-inch fro and oh, starts. Oh, fro! Oh, yeah. Fro. <laughs> We're really gonna break kayfabe there. There you go. We are breaking kayfabe. He's and his father's son, obviously. Well, it is. Well, maybe not, but yeah. But immediately picks him out of the table and goes for it. And I was sitting there, and I, I think I was talking to, uh, you know, Roman Gomez, and I was like, Roman, are you seeing this shit? Or Teddy Baker, I forget who. I'm like, are you watching this? And she's bending down, and I should say, there were a lot of people that will tell you this past weekend that Missy does not wear panties. So she was wearing a very Don't short... shame her for that. No, Don't not at all. Her. No, no, just the opposite. I'm fine with it. She was uh, she was wearing this very short skirt, and when she would bend over, you got the full ass. Now there were some people that were saying it's just a very tiny g-string t-back kind of deal, 
Uh, but I got to tell you, it just looked like full ass was out to me on this one too. So, so yeah, so that, that was pretty incredible. And my feeling was under the right circumstances, I believe Zach could have swam in those waters based mm. off what I was seeing. Yes. So Zach that's and I deep water too. That's deep, well-traveled <laughs> water. I, I, uh, I don't know what I meant by that, but you took it for me. Panama Canal is what you meant. <laughs> so that's exactly where you were going. So again, if she ever does listen to this podcast, we have just made the list. Yes. Uh, but on that note, uh, but I look, I like her and have, we're just making jokes, but, uh, it was re- that was really amazing to You're me. Trying to say there've been a lot of ships in that canal, Mr. Rose. <laughs> it's a right. Uh, what was that guy? Manuel Noriega. Remember that when he, I don't think he's been in that canal. He's I, been I in the Panama know. canal, but not know. that. It all depends. We don't, yeah, you don't yeah. know. God the rice knows. price, you know, those pans can go up. They so, can go. Uh, so, yeah. so, is, okay. Uh, please. Now, uh, now that we've talked about well-traveled canals, Anal sex stories, well-traveled canal stories, yes. uh, Zach swimming in the deep water. Let's talk food, Barry. Let's talk food. Eventually so this we'll was, get to wrestling, I'm sure. We'll get to wrestling. Yeah, that's, you know, it's this is breaking kayfabe. With, this isn't, you know, stick to wrestling. You want to stick to wrestling and Check. stories about witchies and uh, girlfriends from 50 years ago. There's another podcast for that one. You come here for the important shit. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. So this was a part of my wanting to go was a I love take I love going on road trips. First off, that's a big thing for me. But I like going down south. And a lot of it has to do with regional regional fast food. You know, I go out to California, you know, I'm an In-N-Out burger. I'm going down to the south. I'm sitting here charting out every meal on where I'm going to eat uh, and which is what we did. So uh, so we'll, we'll talk about some of these places. So Bojangles was first on our list and we stopped at a Bojangles. Get the biscuits. I got a biscuit. I did get a biscuit. Zach got uh, Zach got the spicy chicken spicy spicy chicken sandwich from Bojangles, and uh, I believe this was in Salem, Virginia. We were at. I believe that's where it is, and uh, it was one of the so Bojangles has gotten deep into the chicken sandwich wars, like Popeyes and every other restaurant out there. Bojangles may actually wind up winning this one, Jeff. Mm. This was a crispy, large chicken breast with, you know, it wasn't soggy. It was fantastic. The flavor was great. And Zach's a chicken guy. He doesn't like red meat that much. Uh, he really likes chicken and seafood are his two things. So uh, he said and this was deep water canals, apparently, apparently <laughs> well. swimming. Yes. So uh, so Bojangles was was really good. And uh, you know, what I like about Bojangles, too. I, I like I do like the people that work there because the last few times I've been to Bojangles, I got to tell you, I, th- I always feel the staff is great. So uh, I, I applaud them on their hiring of, of employees. Went to a restaurant that night called Black Cow. I had never heard of it before, but it was literally in the same complex with the hotel I was staying in. And Black Cow is what I thought was a ripoff of Cowfish. And Cowfish is that concept that I posted photos of from Universal Studios. It's burgers and sushi. And they started in the Carolinas. Well, Black Cow, uh, obviously Carolinas as well. Somebody told me that Black Cow actually started before Cowfish did. Regardless, uh, it was Zach, Pete Letterberg, myself, and Pete's daughter, Aiden. And uh, we were able to go, and the food was good. Uh, the burgers may be better at Black Cow than Cowfish. The sushi was also very good. Uh, and then uh, the next day, uh, Pete's daughter, Aiden is a big fan of Jack in the box. And there was a Jack in the box, maybe a mile from us, uh, from the hotel. 
So Zach made a run over to pick up some food, get some Jack in the box. Zach was gone for like two and a half hours. Maybe he was swimming in these waters because we didn't He'll never it. tell. He'll never tell because he's still kayfabing me on that one. But uh, Jack in the box, the first time Zach had ever had it, you know, and that's that's always a big thing when I your kid tries fast food that you like for the first time. So, so wait, I'm sorry, man. did you say Zach in the box? Zach in the box. So yes, see what I, I, see like what I did there. Thank you. Oh, I Thank see you. Exactly what you did. That's why we're Peabody and Sherman Award winning folks. That Absolutely. kind of quality content. Please. Uh, Yep. The next day they did Jack in the box again for lunch. And then we went to a place called wild wings for dinner. Now this is interesting because it's, uh, the name of the restaurant is wild wings. So I don't know if there's been any litigation or threats of litigation from Buffalo wild wings. Uh, I think, again, I think I may have heard that they may have been first before Buffalo wild wings, but regardless, the food was a fucking ton better than Buffalo wild wings. And the wings were actually really good. And Jeff, you saw who joined us. Our old friend lives about 45 minutes away. John Doe, Travis Rains made who? the trip down. Tra exactly who Travis Rains made the trip down, uh, from his city and uh, came in and enjoyed us and also hung out with us for the rest of the night, stayed with us for that David Schultz Q&A. He was there uh, for all of that. It was great to see Travis again. And, and let me say young Zachary again. So young Zachary, 20 years old, personality of 40 people, the hair of 40 people. There was a very attractive woman, at least in my eyes, that was hanging out out front and she had a margarita and it was one of those jumbo margaritas that like four people should be drinking from, you know? So, uh, Zach, I I'm sitting in a chair with Ozzy waiting to be seated. Pete's there. Travis is there. Uh, Pete's daughter, Aiden is there. And Zach goes up and says, that's a margarita. Wow. I got to get one of those. Right? So next thing you know, he's talking to this woman. She has three kids, by the way. Uh, and nothing wrong with that. They need love too. Just the opposite, I think. I think that's, you know, I think that's the way you should go. So he starts talking to her. The next thing, five minutes later, I look over. There are two straws in the drink. And Zach is now drinking the margarita with this young lady. So uh, obviously again. his mom has taught Zach well that he's learned these techniques, these skills, because I can't imagine where else Zach would have learned this kind of stuff. I don't know. And uh, but I was stunned. And this woman's probably 10 or 15 years older again. But he's now sharing a margarita with this mother of three. She winds up leaving with her kids and gives Zach the margarita, which and Zach, you know, between us, Jeff, nobody else is listening right now. Zach's underage. He's only 20 nope. years old. So, I, you know, he's right. Shouldn't have had this margarita. But at the same time, you know, I'm there. I figure we're going to we'll let this happen. Uh, so uh, the next thing I know, uh, he and this mother of three are DMing through TikTok each other. Uh, so I don't know where this will go, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, I did get to hit Culver's a couple of times. So let me talk about Culver's for a minute. So I am Jeff. I am, uh, this Culver's to me has quickly become the in and out of the East coast for me. I love Culver's and I'm happy to say there's none near me because it would probably take the shine off of that for me. Uh, I like the fact that I have to travel. It becomes a special thing. However, this Culver's Jeff was my least favorite of all the Culver's I've been to. And it had nothing to do with the company. Bobby Yates joined us, uh, Pete, his daughter and Zach, obviously, uh, the food was very good, but the staff was not great, but even worse, Jeff, 
it was disgustingly dirty. And the outside had several trash cans that were completely overflowing that people were now just leaving their trash on the floor. It was so bad. Uh, and, and I think what disappointed me, and this is a sad thing, and I think you could probably relate. You know, if you if you went to a a, a courthouse for any length of time, you're going to critique it whether you want to or not. Right. It's just going to happen. Sure. It's human nature. It, it, I just can't help it. it. I critiqued the whole fan fest this weekend because I've run them. So I, you know, I always do that. So I, I was at this restaurant. And let me say the food was still just as good. I didn't catch anything with the food. The wait was a little long, but I can let that go because we all know we're in a, you know, a labor shortage and that can happen. But cleanliness, you can't let go. And I can tell you clearly, if the health department had shown up here, this restaurant would have been shut down in a second. Now, I believe a lot of these issues, there was appeared to be no manager on duty. And if there was, they should be fired because there was no management taking place of this, this property. But Jeff, with Culver's, do you know that I believe there's 750 Culver's nationwide, six of them are owned by Culver's. And the other 744 are owned individually. And what that means is somebody owns this Culver's, has put in over six figures to own this Culver's, and it's a labor shortage, and it's Saturday night at 7 o'clock, and you're not in your restaurant protecting your business. And that right there is inexcusable, in my opinion. So it's uh, sort of so. like Bill Watts not being at the UWF tournament. In Houston in May of 1986. No, maybe it's not the same thing, but go ahead. And <laughs> that's a, but I love the. I I'm love trying the to draw it back analogy. into wrestling. I know you are, and I, well, and I'm, I'll get to wrestling in a second somehow. I'll think something up to tie it all in, but, uh, but that that was just a really big deal to me. And you know, look, we talk about food, we talk about, and I, I, I think I look for things that are different than probably 95% of other people that. But when you go to a restaurant and there are piles of garbage on the floor. You have a serious issue. And uh, again, the food was great. I'm a little frightened to think maybe the kitchen was not clean because if what I'm seeing in front is bad, maybe what's in back is even worse. That's the old, you know, the old adage about that. But the food was good. Uh, the employees were not as friendly uh, as the people uh, in Florida, the Culver's I had been to in Florida. But uh, I want to think this was a one-off and uh, I want to think this will not occur. Uh, and then, Jeff, we stopped at Publix on the way home yesterday, had to get the Publix. I got the chicken tender sub and then I brought home $28 of those cheesecake horns that I've talked about, which is eight of them. Uh, I, I got an ice chest uh, with ice and a cooler, and I put these in there, brought home some chicken fingers and a ton of other stuff uh, that I brought back because it's shopping at Publix is always a pleasure. I got to say that chicken tender stub, stub, boy, I'm really dragging. The chicken tender sub is possibly the greatest sub I have ever had ever in my life. It is that good. So great weekend, Jeff. Missed you. A lot of people. So here was another thing, Jeff. A lot of people asked about you and a lot of people said, and, and this was people, this was one thing I noticed. Where people, is that son of a bitch, Bowdrin? No, no, just the opposite. People would come over and they would look at me in my face. They would put their hand on my shoulder. It was almost like I'm your spouse. And they would say, how is Jeff doing? And it was the most sincere 
question I, I could be asked. It was like they were they would right deep into my eyes. How is your how is your partner doing? And I, I as I told everybody, you would be amazed at the bounce back he has had, which it is amazing. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of people did ask about you this weekend. Hold on. All right. Oh, I'm getting a little emotional. Okay. I'm back. I'm better now. That's very nice, Barry. Back to actually very nice. That people it, it really was. That. I do yeah. appreciate that. So uh, now to do a smooth transition from me uh, being sad, uh, uh, being emotional. Uh, let's talk about our match of the week. Hey, boy, there is a smooth transition. <laughs> we are talking June 15th, 1985. Thanks, sweet man. Appreciate you finding that date for us. The studios of WTBS, Turner Broadcasting System. It is the nature boy, Ric Flair, taking on, oh, that hunk, Magnum TA. Before we get to the match, Bear, I believe you have a little bit of kayfabe to break on this very incident. I do, I do. And what was the, I'm sorry, Jeff, what was the date on that one again? June 15th, by the way, my mom's birthday. Little oh. birthday gift to my mom from Magnum and, uh, and the nature boy. So it was kind of nice. But anyway, uh, please continue. After, it was June 15th, 85, correct? Correct. Gotcha. So, yeah. So, uh, so Magnum TA was at the Fan Fest this weekend, and uh, I, I didn't really spend a lot of time with him before, but when I saw what our match of the week was, it said to me, shit, we got Magnum right there. Why don't I just Maggie! go up there? Yeah, go up and ask him what his memories and and Jeff, as we both know, sometimes the guys don't have any memories of certain matches. But I was like, let me ask Magnum what kind of memories he has of this match. And he said, uh, he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, what Magnum said was so Magnum had uh, he had had kind of a breakout, I guess, a year or two before. Uh, in Mid-South, he was off of the time. I don't remember what the timeline was, but he said, you know, in, in Mid-South was really where I got my first push. Uh, he goes, I worked an angle with Mr. Wrestling to Johnny Walker. And I, I said, absolutely. You know, you and I both think that's yeah, one of the fantastic. great angles of all time. Yeah. And, and we talked about that for a couple of minutes, but he goes, this one was a bigger deal in the sense that this is what made me a star. And what he said was because of the exposure of being on TBS, of working with, you know, the most popular wrestler, uh, you know, he's talking NWA, but the most popular wrestler or most well-known wrestler in the country, which would have been Ric Flair. He said, this is the match that made me star. And then he proceeded to tell me that working with Ric Flair was one of the real highlights of his career. So I then said, I said, you know, Magnum, there's always this talk that if the accident hadn't occurred, that if, you know, if you had not been in the accident and your career hadn't ended, that you were really going to be fast tracked to being a world's heavyweight champion. And he said, he goes, he said, I believe that's true. And what I liked about it was we've always heard these stories, David Von Erich, which, you know, obviously Dory Funk Jr. and Kevin Sullivan confirmed for us, but there's always, you know, this guy would have been a world champion or this one. And we've heard Magnum before. So he said, he said he believed that to be true, which I liked instead of saying, yes, it was true. But he said, Ric Flair was the one pushing for that to happen. And I thought that was really interesting that he said that, uh, the next thing I asked him, and this I thought was cool. So there was a question, Jeff, and then I'm going to throw this at you before I tell you my answer. 
or what Magnum said when I asked him this question. And I believe our old friend, uh, the Arkansas butcher, Aaron Grafton, came up with this question a, a year or two ago. And he said, had their careers not been cut short in some form, who do you think would have made a better NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, Magnum or Kerry Von Erich? Not David, but Kerry. And I, I immediately had an answer. And then I, I said something, I said it to Magnum and I phrased it differently because it's a weird thing to ask him, you know, do you think you would have been better than Kerry? But I'll tell you what he said and then I'll tell you what I said. But Jeff, what do you say? Who would have made a better, if their careers had continued, and, and this is Kerry staying in the NWA or maybe going to Charlotte, you know, and working with the NWA, who would have made a better NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, Maggie or Kerry Von Erich? I think. Short term, the answer would have been Kerry. I think long term, there's absolutely no question that Magnum would have been a better long term world champion. Because I think what would have happened in my eyes was, uh, and this is just because some people can't get out of their own way, that what would have happened is Magnum would have gotten the belt. And then at some point, they would have done the whole, just like they did with Barry, Wyndham, and Dusty, they would have done it with Magnum and, and Dusty. And they would have ended up turning Magnum into a heel world champion. That's what I think. Well, Jeff, you are 100% correct. Check. So my rationale for this whole thing was Magnum always, he had this, he wasn't an over-the-top baby face. You know what I mean? He had, it, he was kind of almost a good-looking badass in a sense, you know, and we kind of a stiff worker, if, if I remember correctly as well, you know, he was a guy out there that looked like he was laying him in. And I think he could have easily transitioned to a amazing heel. I think, and Kerry could have never done that. Kerry, I, I will say that, that my, my old friend, Jeff Steele, uh, pointed out to me many, many years ago when, before the accident, uh, that he noticed that as a baby face Magnum, did, I mean, and this is, and Jeff used to be in the business. He said, for a baby face, Magnum does a lot of yelling during his yeah. promos. And, I like you know, that, that as well. Yeah. That, that's just a, a very subtle thing that some people noticed. And so, you know, which led him to believe that Magnum's future down the road would have been as a heel. And I, I think that's completely valid. Now, you know, I, I don't want people to think that I'm saying, let's remember, Kerry Von Erich, whether you want to, you know, take out the the foot situation, the drug situation. He was fucking huge for a while. He was a really big deal. But, but Jeff, he, he definitely this, was not long term. I, I don't think in any way because of the 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 problem and the vices that he obviously had. Right, but here's the other aspect too. Kerry was over huge regionally. And no, that's very fair. Yeah, and Magnum was national. Now, that's not to say that Kerry couldn't have gotten over nationally uh, in his prime. The WWF, when he was up there, he, he really was never over. But that's also a completely different world. But, you know, I think booked correctly, Kerry could have gotten over huge. I think the difference, and your your friend Jeff Steele makes a great point, is that Magnum, and the other aspect, too, on that, Jeff, Magnum didn't do a lot of smiling. 
Magnum wasn't a smiley baby face, you know, there wasn't a lot of smiling. He was kind of get down to business kind of shit. Uh, and his matches always did look stiff. Anyways, my answer also was that I think Magnum, I don't think Kerry could have done it. And I think Magnum could have done it. So I posed the question and I basically said, Hey, there was a question. And I explained, you know, the podcast and what we do invited him on. And he said, maybe. And, uh, uh, I, I said to him, I said, you know, there was a question a few months ago and had, you know, and I, I, re, I rephrased it and I said, a lot of people felt that you as a long-term champion would have really gotten over more than Kerry for the reasons you and I both just stated. And Magnum said that had been discussed, that me turning heel down the road if I had won the title had already been discussed and was already in the works. And I thought that was pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, no, there's no question. Uh, Terry Allen as Magnum TA, one of the great what ifs in the history of the wrestling business. So now let's go back to June 15th, 1985, in the studios of WTBS. Bear, what'd you think of the match? It's great. So it's uh, again, this is such a this is a glory period for me of professional wrestling. Yeah. So I thought it was great. Uh, you know, again, I was, you know, with Magnum too. What I with Magnum, I've grown to appreciate him more uh, over the last. 10, 15 years than I did at the, at, when he was actually wrestling. I, I don't want to say I was this huge Magnum fan because I don't really think I was. Uh, but, you know, in, in hindsight, I really became a bigger Magnum fan. And a lot of it has to do with uh, when I watch his matches, he, he does look a little stiff at times. And I really like that. And in Flair, if Flair knew it, Flair knew that this guy, that, that gets it all ties into what Magnum was telling me, right? Flair knew that this guy was going to be uh, something in the future, that this was this was happening, that this was happening. And Flair really, you know, especially after hearing Matt, because I watched the match after I talked to Magnum, it, you could see where this was a star-making performance on national TV, and you can see Flair really had a hand in doing that. And uh, he was, I th this is such a good match on so many levels. I, I, I truly enjoyed it. Yeah, this is uh, a prime flair, uh, flair making someone, and I don't want to poo-poo what Magnum had been before this, but this is really turning a guy from, let's just say, a star into a superstar kind of thing, you know? Uh, and, you know, we have uh, on occasion criticized the booking philosophies of guys like Dusty Rhodes, and maybe before that, whether it was Bill Watts or, or whoever was booking but the elevation turning, you know, I, I believe Ernie Ladd had a hand in his name and stuff like that. Right. Uh, but turning Terry Allen into Magnum TA in Mid-South uh, and then taking what they had started in Mid-South and Dusty taking him, uh, you know, the whole thing with the belly to belly suplex and the matches lasted. For, I, it was just genius. I mean, they really took a kid that maybe wasn't ready for it. He had the looks, but in the ring, he wasn't necessarily ready for that spot. But as he was getting ready for the spot, they created this guy that was a friggin' superstar. And Mid-South and Crockett Promotions both did an absolutely stellar, no complaints, stellar, stellar job of turning this guy into an absolute superstar bear. 
Yeah, and that's what it was. They did this is and this is done absolutely the correct way. This is the way it should be. And this is uh this is like magic in a bottle. This is the shit that, you know, if you could try to get a guy over, especially now you don't see it, you know, occasionally something happens, but you just don't see the star making performances and a lot of it has to do with correct booking uh and positioning everything correctly and you don't see it. This is textbook. This is the way it's supposed to be. And guess what? This is the way it worked. It absolutely worked and it made Magnum a huge star. And, um, you know, I, I truly do believe he would have been the future. I think above, you know, a lot of the other names that you hear and things happening, I think he would have, but star making performance. This is it in a bottle. So now Barry, let's go back to my trip down to South Florida. You have regaled us with Charlotte stories. Uh, and, uh, dare I say some, titillating uh items regarding young zachary and perhaps some other stuff so now barry let's get into my trip and what happened with my trip some of the stories that i was told now barry because i know that there are some attorneys that work the broward county courthouse i'm gonna have to say the names have been withheld to protect the innocent, if you get my sure. barry so i was dining out with those that work uh in the court system and lo and behold, I'm getting wind, not one, but two judicial affairs. Oh, yes. The judges, uh, uh, not, no, no, this is not something I will say that is ongoing. This is in the past. And of course, I've been gone two years now, so it's old news. But I was like, oh, uh, what happened with so-and-so? Well, uh, let's just say the husband may have been running around on her. Uh, oh, what about this judge? Uh, do you remember that? Uh, well, her and her husband, uh, they got a divorce because uh, uh, he was running around her. Oh, Barry, the lady judges that are having their husbands doing a little cheating on them. So it doesn't just happen maybe up in Charlotte at a fan fest, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, lots of good dirt coming out of the courthouse uh, upon my visit, hearing lots of good stories. Oh, let's just say uh, some attorneys who, who – uh, have major stroke in the county. Uh, I heard uh, uh, divorces, wife has taken to drinking heavily. Oh my God, Barry, it's like a regular Peyton place. Uh, to the point where uh, when I was regaling my sister with the story, she said, quite honestly, she goes, you know, I think that the only show that has not been done yet that needs to be, I I'm gonna say, Barry, this couldn't, this would be more like a Netflix thing or an HBO thing, because I don't think this is ready for prime time on the uh, networks. How about, a show called Courthouse, and you deal with all the mechanizations, all the behind-the-scenes stuff, the stuff that people don't know that's going on, Barry. What do you think? I think it's a great idea, but th this begs the question, why hasn't this been done before? Is there, Are there legal reasons they can't know. do it? Let's just say that it's all not night court, okay? Uh, right. There's there's more that goes on, and apparently, uh, I don't know, apparently I missed out on some of the action, Barry, because there's lots of good stuff going on. So I got to tell you a funny story. I happened to run into, again, names uh, withheld to protect the innocent. Let's just say I ran into uh, someone uh, at the courthouse who uh, works in professional capacity. And uh, they were telling me that they had gone down to Dade County uh, to see a, uh, it was like a, a Van Gogh art exhibit or something like that, okay? And they said, so after we're done with the Van Gogh exhibit, we're looking to go out uh, for a nice meal. And they happened to run across a restaurant, and the restaurant, Barry, was called Kush. Oh. 
Oh, Barry, Barry, I think you like a little Kush now, don't you? I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, and, and just in the, uh, the the consumable uh, variety. But anyway, so the amusing thing about this to me was was when they told me uh, this person, they told me uh, the name of the restaurant, uh, and I got to be honest with you. One of the differences between you and I, that's your, that's, that's your bag, baby. Yeah. That's not my bag. I, I don't have bag. a problem that Barry's, that's Barry's bag, but it's just not sure. mine. But I heard of that name before. And I went, the restaurant's name was what? And they said, oh, it's called Kush. And I, and I went, oh, that's, that's kind of amusing. And they said, oh yeah. Well, what they didn't know was when they went into this restaurant and then, uh, by the way, this is not some, uh, restaurant that features uh you know the the cbds or or the cannabis products or nothing like that it's just an interesting name for a restaurant and so uh i said uh, well how was the food and they said oh that was actually pretty good but they had no idea especially somebody that's been in the legal profession for all those many years barry i was surprised that someone in the legal field would not have heard of this uh eh, dare i say nickname uh for your uh, your smokable and edible products bear kush yeah, it is. And we should say, too, with Kush, there's there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of varieties of Kush. You might have your I'm going to bow to your better knowledge on that. Yeah. So we, and the beauty of it is, so if you live in a state uh, and let's take so I, I've been fortunate in that I've been able to visit dispensaries, legal dispensaries, non-medical, but recreational in every state where it is legally uh, legalized for recreation, with the exception of Washington, D.C., I have not been. But, uh, you know, Nevada, California, Colorado, uh, Massachusetts. So I've been to dispensaries in every single state. And it's almost like when you walk into one of these places, it's uh, like the Wawa of, of weed. Like, it's just amazing to see it. And, Wawa. Uh, Wawa. And, uh, Kush, you can get your lemon Kush. There's like something I that I I saw called Cushing cookies, but there's so many different varieties. But that's surprising. And then I was telling you, the only that I'm aware of, this may have changed, but the only restaurant in the U.S. where uh, recreational marijuana is incorporated it was a place out in Los Angeles in Hollywood, and it was something Farms. I forget what they called it, uh, but you go in. And they they have instead of a wine list, and I think they have a wine list as well, but they have a weed list and they'll they'll send it over and they'll actually roll it table side for you and they'll even pair it for you. Pair it like, you know, so, so you're having the the chicken on the bone with roasted potatoes that goes really nice with the lemon kush. You know what I mean? So it, it's amazing to see it. So surprising, though, that. That she had, she never heard that, or he never heard that term before. They, they never heard they, that. I term. Was, well, I, with all the pronouns now, you're right. It should be they, so that they never heard that term. Uh, yes, that's a, so. Before Barry, we're going to get to the uh, CWF, uh, this date in CWF history. Before we do, I do want to mention that on our vacation, you know, Barry, I've discussed with you before. Big Hitchcock fan, uh, yeah, and, and I've seen so many of uh, the the masters terms uh, or terms uh, movies that, that he's put out I, I love his stuff from especially the 40s and 50s uh just absolute works of brilliance uh, stuff like you know uh the man who knew too much uh, north by northwest rear window but barry i until the other night had never had the opportunity to watch the movie frenzy have you ever seen that bear years ago but absolutely yeah yeah 
So Frenzy, now Frenzy was made, let me, 1972. So here's what surprises me. First of all, uh, as uh, Hitch, Hitch was getting older, he was winding down his career. I think he made one movie after this, and that's Family Plot in 1975. But, you know, Hitch always had sort of a dark theme to his movies. You know I mean? You think about Psycho and The Birds and, and, and uh, stuff like uh, Rope uh, that had very sort of sinister uh, plot underlying, uh, you know, the, the movie. Uh, but what I found interesting about this was about a guy who was, and, and of course, one of his common themes is the wrongly accused man, okay? And that's what happened in this movie. Uh, this did not have any big stars. I will say that. There's really nobody that you go, oh, oh, yeah, I completely know who that is. But it was an interesting story about a guy who was a serial murderer who raped his victims before, okay? Now, considering 1972 again, uh, and we were starting to see, let's just say, a broadening of the of the film horizons uh, and vis-a-vis -vis, uh, your nudity and things like that. So, you know, you, you see the uh, the bare breast in this. You see uh, an ass shot. Uh, but the, there was a scene where this guy, uh, the the person who ended up being the, the murderer rapist, where he like rapes a woman. He was called the necktie strangler because he would strangle him with his necktie. And. I'm watching it, and this was after he had engaged in a rape uh, of this woman in her office. And I'm sitting there watching this. I'm going, oh, you know, for 1972, this must have been really, really shocking stuff. And, you know, this is at a time where – think about it. If you watch Midnight Cowboy now, Barry, that movie was rated X when it came out. And here I'm watching this, and I'm going, wow. People must have gone, oh, wow, it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And you're seeing a pretty graphic rape scene. You're seeing breast. You're seeing an ass shot, uh, you know, and and talk about uh, uh, pretty uh, adult themes. And I'm sitting there thinking, I sure hope nobody took their kids to see this movie in 1972 because they would have been completely fucking stunned, Bear. Yeah, in different time, like where now it's a little. Uh, you oh know, yeah, you see yeah, it. Like yeah. But at seventy two, it was a big deal. Yeah, Hitchcock was such an amazing, uh, amazing director, and I, I often wonder, like you know, because I, I don't know how he translates to a generation that's never seen a Hitchcock movie, you know, like people go, oh, well, he's been dead for 40 years, 50 years, whatever it's been at this point. A lot of his movies are over 50. They're 60 years old at this point as well. You know, and you've been going down this rabbit hole lately, Jeff, of watching classic movies and, and checking all this stuff out. I often wonder, and I think really what I'm trying to get to, like you look at the Saw franchise of films, uh, and certainly, you know, it's not, identical because the saw is much more gory but at the same time i wonder if people now especially horror fanatics and i love horror films jeff i wonder if horror fanatics are almost conditioned uh you know to see whether it's a lot of blood excessive violence and things like that would they see the hitchcock films and go yeah whatever there's nothing here really well hooked, and there's a, which is a loss of, that's a yeah, huge loss a certain amount of desensitization Sure. Two things, you know, where it used to be, you know, one of the reasons uh, that I, you know, when people ask me what my favorite horror movies of all time, you know, one of the I've always talked about Halloween because Halloween. Fantastic. It's a slasher film, but you don't see a lot. A lot of it is like sort of implied, you know, it's like that proverbial, like, you know, the person walks in, the door closes, you hear a scream, but you don't see what happens to them. And it, you know, 
Uh, now, of course, you see they're you know getting stabbed 50 times and then their head chopped off with special effects or whatever. I hope it's special effects and they didn't actually kill the person. But, you know, and, and it's just, you know, I, my daughter loves horror movies and, you know, she loves the uh, stuff like Insidious and those kind of movies. And they just don't have my interest at all. And it's a very fair point that you make, Barry, about whether or not someone, you know, like I didn't discover Hitchcock until like 1980. I was 19 years old. So he was done making films. But that's when I first discovered you know, the, the stuff by like North by Northwest and Rear Window and, and you know, there's a, so but seeing this and knowing that when this movie was made, uh, you know, like the the whole nudity, the whole uh, uh, rape scene, which was, you know, yeah. for the time had to be pretty graphic, must have been really shocking to people. Now, I will tell you this, Barry, before we move on. The only name that you might know in this movie, Barry, uh, and it's not necessarily a name, but the face you would know. Barry, does the name Billy Whitelaw mean anything to you? No, uh, I don't think so. Do you know what you know Billy Whitelaw from, Barry? Well-traveled canals? Oh, no, but that's a good guess. Uh, You're familiar, of course. Big horror movie, The Omen, the original. Oh, yeah, yeah. Damien! Damien, it's all for you, Damien. Yes, she was the the person that jumped off the roof and hung herself in front of Damien, the child. Yeah, that was Billy Whitelaw. And when I saw her, I recognized those friggin' teeth. And I go, I know this lady from somewhere. I looked her up and I went, son of a bitch, she was that lady. And I don't know if she was like the nanny or what, but yeah, killed herself for Damien, uh, the Antichrist. Uh, good times, Barry. So so now, Barry, why don't we take a look at what happened on this date, the 27th. By the way, Barry, the other day we're recording the 26th of July here. Eh, it's the anniversary of the Bowdrens. Thank you very much. 18 glorious years. So for me and uh, the lovely Mrs. Bowdrin. I'm going out for a nice dinner tonight, Barry. And actually, so, uh, Jeff, Jeff, if I may say, <laughs> coincidentally, a week ago today was my wedding anniversary also. Uh, well, so, yeah. <laughs> perhaps not celebrated as gloriously now, Bear. No, yeah. but I did go out to dinner, I think. But I just didn't yeah. go out with my wife. But, yeah, so I uh, – <laughs> but, look, we're still – Good times. Yeah. Tar- yeah, actually great times. <laughs> we're still on good terms and uh, nothing there wrong with go. that. Congratulations, though. 18 years, Jeff. And what I, I what I like about you, one of the one of the many things I like about you, which I've talked about, uh, is your commitment to things long term. And 18 years is a long time. You've been together for how many years? Uh, 21. 21. No, wait a minute. Hey, carry the four. Uh, yeah, I got, well, actually, maybe 22, because our first date was Memorial Day weekend, 99. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I got married in 98. We started dating in 95 uh, and got married in 98. Uh, so, yeah. But the fact that, you know, you're married 18 years together, obviously, for almost, uh, you know, uh, 25 years at this point or whatever that number is. I'm, I suck at math. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that either one of our specialties. No, no, that that's for sure. And neither is English, actually. Right? <laughs> we don't have a lot of specialties. But uh, but on that note, the fact that you also had a job that you worked at for seemingly you know uh, several lifetimes is uh, that. And for- I will say that I went back to that job on my trip to Florida. I forgot to mention this, Barry. And you know, I'll just say that you know there are places that you stay at long term. And uh, whether it's a house, whether it's a city, whatever. Uh, and, you know, my wife and I, we wanted to go back last year. And then, of course, COVID hit and my cancer hit and all that kind of stuff. So we were in it. So this is our first trip back. We had people that I hadn't seen in, in like two years. And when we went back, halfway through the trip, I looked at my wife and I said, you know what? I don't need to come back here anymore. 
if we come back to see friends, that's great. That's fine. But I don't need to come back anymore. And I think I kind of needed to come back to get a little bit of closure, especially with my work and stuff like that. People that I miss from my work. And uh, yeah, so uh, I had a nice time, but I don't need to go back anymore, Bear. Yeah, and that's it's, that's how I felt though too. And it, it, for me, it's a little different. I I was so I was born and raised literally on a beach right off of Collins Avenue. It was 158th and Collins, and it was a uh, it was the most amazing childhood. And honestly, I could talk about that for the next 50 hours. But I hadn't been back in an, over 10 years, and I went back. It was July. It was two years ago, July of 2019, the first time I had been back in over a decade, uh, even 15 years. I was devastated. Uh, and it was, you know, you, you go back and you know how everything is exactly the way it was when you left. Right. And yeah. of course, yeah, exactly. And of course you get there and there's nothing that is even remotely what you left. And, uh, I was devastated and disappointed and also said, this is the last time I will probably ever go back to sunny Isles, Florida, sadly. So yeah, so I get it. Yeah. So, so this anyway, is also, uh, yeah, as we continuing wax poetic, Barry, let's talk CWF. And let's, uh, and let's, and let's, this is a big date, Jeff, and it's not, it's a big date for one of the wrong reasons. Uh, this is the day that Gordon Soley lost his battle with, with cancer, uh, the age of 71 in the year 2000, it was July 27, 2000 Gordon, who had been struggling, he had lost his voice. He had been battling throat cancer, uh, wound up losing this big battle. And, and Gordon was a heavy smoker, heavy drinker, well-documented, uh, it's kind of a sad ending, to a, a guy who was a broadcaster to be able to have to lose your voice like that. But, you know, people always talk and it's, uh, I, and, and I'm, I'm probably guilty of this as well, but people will talk about the importance of, uh, of who was important to CWF. And, uh, you know, the truth is Gordon Soley is equally as important as anybody else that has ever associated with CWF on every level. And when we started that Hall of Fame, that drives me crazy, by the way, when we started that virtual Hall of Fame for CWF, we put on five names and one of those was Gordon Soley. And it had to be there. There and the re, and I did it. I, I this was one of those where there should be no discussion about this. You know, you might like uh, Snake Brown. Maybe he was a great job guy. But, you know, because you like him doesn't mean he should be in the Hall of Fame. These are the conversations I, I have to have with people because everybody. I'm going to tell you here. I don't mean to interrupt you. Sure. In, in my mind. Uh, Dusty Rhodes. Oh, okay. becoming, I like this. Go ahead. Uh, yes. A mega star and yes. Dusty Rhodes getting over as a mega baby face. Gordon Soley was, I think, every bit as responsible for that as Dusty himself was. Absolutely, he was, Jeff. You'd be again. You would be one hundred percent correct. I don't need to do the check this time. I've All right. It. If you're, if you, if you have, if you worked for a promotion and you became a mega star, there's a great chance that the announcer, at least back in the territory days, I don't think we see that in Japan. You see it. I don't think in this country you see it because I don't think it. AEW, I don't think does a great job. I don't think in the current environment, anybody does a great job, but think about Lance Russell. Lance Russell made a lot of guys in Memphis. Gordon made a lot of guys in Florida. Certainly Dusty's right at the top of the list. But Jeff, with that, tell me, let me tell you the five names that I, uh, that I put on the hall of fame. And this was the idea was there, there had to be guys that would get that honorary induction. And this was no vote. This was and me sitting down and going, these would be the five guys. And then we did vote and, you know, and everybody that really deserved at the time to be on the hall of fame, uh, 
made it in the Hall of Fame. You know, certainly there are some people, you know, it, I hear names all the time and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really know if Raul Mata at this stage needs to be in the Hall of Fame, but he'll get there. Let me take a, can there. I take a shot at the five? Yeah, I like that, too. And I'm going to have to look at my hand, Jeff, so I could <laughs> so I could just check them off. But go for it. I'm going to say, obviously, Eddie, Eddie Graham. Ding. Dusty Rhodes. Ding. Gordon Soley. Ding. Jack Briscoe. You are, you are, look at you. You are, you are right there, Jeff. You're correct. That fifth name though, I'm going to give you a hint and I'm going to say, step back. Think Cowboy Luttrell. Jeff, today, I, I, when we're done recording, you get in your car and you go play the fucking lottery because you just nailed all five. And let's be honest, a lot of people couldn't have just done that. That's it. It's a hundred percent. It though. And, and maybe that means I'm not as crazy as I think I am, but in a lot of ways, you saying those five is almost justification for the reason that I did it because there, there should be no discussion about these five. And yes, there's probably 10 other names that I could have put on there, but those five, there's no one more deserving than those five. Yeah. I mean, you could have, you could have made an argument for guys like buddy Colt, Paul buddy Jones, Cold vote, buddy Colt voted the funks, in, in the first know. vote. The funks voted in the first class, but he cold voted in the first class. So we, what I did was when we started this thing, which is I think almost a decade ago, I put in those five names and then we did a vote. And I think we added three names and, or four names, but the names you mentioned were the guys that were, that went in Malenko went in Kevin Sullivan, went sure. in. everybody who deserves to, you know, no, absolutely. In. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyways, this is unfortunately the date that we lost Gordon Soley, and he he truly was so important to CWF. Uh, so a couple of interesting matches right here. So Jody Hamilton, as, you, as you're aware, Jeff, fighting for his life, he has made a bit of a comeback. He was very ill uh, a week or two ago in ICU, and he apparently now is joking and being transferred out of ICU. So we are thrilled. One of your favorite wrestlers of all time, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, uh, and just a guy that I think the world of and uh, still hopeful that he will be at FanFest with us. Uh, he, he has stated he would have to be on his deathbed for him not to be there. So he is determined to make it. And we certainly want to have him there. Jody Hamilton on this date, Jeff, 50 years ago. Oh, I take that back, Jeff. I do suck at math. 60 years ago, 1961 in a boxing match with Eddie Graham. And that is absolutely incredible. Uh, here's a match too. And I, I think this will be good. And especially if, if your memory is better than mine, which I think it is in most cases, because, uh, my memory is taking a bit of a hit, uh, Dory Funk Jr. On this date, 50 years ago in 1971, defending the NWA world's heavyweight championship against Dick Murdoch. And the reason I asked about your memory, Jeff, we had dinner with uh, Marty and Dory Funk, myself, you, Pete, the professor, Peter Letterberg, and you asked a question and you were like, so, you know, tell us about Dick Murdoch. What was that great story? Yeah, about the Dick airplane Murdoch? story. And uh, beer? Uh, beer? Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> right. if it was Dick Murdoch, it was involving beer. That's, um, yeah. God, I can't remember. I know it had something to do with Dick Murdoch on an airplane uh, getting getting himself in some hot water. <laughs> just yes, and I believe beer was involved. And I remember yes. great. Go story. figure. Yeah, but that again, this is three years ago, and we're we're both you know headed towards sixty, so our memories aren't as sharp as they used to be. Uh, this date, a year later, nineteen seventy-two, forty-nine years ago. How's this for a main event? 
Paul Jones and Buddy Colt, the heels, taking on Jack Briscoe and Don Curtis. And what makes that interesting is Don Curtis at this point, I would need, he was semi-retired or he was retired. And, but he was the promoter of Jacksonville. And locally, Don Curtis was essentially the unofficial mayor of, of Jacksonville. He was involved in every charitable organization, uh, you know, you name it. Don Curtis was at every school. He was Don Curtis. This is something interesting, too. Uh, I wrestled in junior high and in high school. And Don Curtis and Coach John Heath with Eddie Graham are the men responsible for uh, amateur wrestling and being in high schools in the state of Florida. That that's it is unbelievable. That's a commitment there that is unbelievable. So Don Curtis, Jack Briscoe versus Paul Jones and Buddy Cole. Don Curtis, Syracuse grad, if I'm not mistaken, Barry. I believe I New York based, which I know, but yeah. I don't. Yeah. Uh, a year later, 1973 Florida title, Buddy Colt just mentioned him defending the title against Lou Fez. And that is really interesting as well, because, uh, you know, Lou Fez getting a Florida title shot in at Tallahassee. It's crazy to me. Uh, moving on down to 76. Steel cage match, Steve Kern versus Bob Roop. I've talked about this feud. I posted a photo of this feud. I think this is maybe my favorite feud of all time from CWF. I'd be hard pressed to find another one that I think had the impact on me that this feud had. And I, I certainly have gone through this at every side to ad nauseum. I've just, uh, you know, I, I literally, I've you know, one, one of the things bear, uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt her. I'm sorry. Oh, that, that I think is really interesting. Uh, and especially for someone like you, uh, who archives so much of the history of CWF is the way over a couple of years. And, you know, I, I want to say it wasn't just Dusty's turn to babyface. Maybe it was the Bobby Shane plane crash, uh, how CWF just completely switched and went from being a promotion that was so based on, on making it look, I hate to say making it look real, but doing everything you can to make it look real, you know, like a, a real uh, competitive wrestling match to when Dusty uh, made that, uh, that turn and became white hot as a baby face. Uh, the promotion was much more uh, gimmick match based, you know, and it, it's one thing if it's like a, pro, you know, if it was like Memphis and they, you know, but this, I mean, this was literally, you know, when I listen to the stud cast and Ron Fuller talks about the way that the promotion in Knoxville was when he first got there and how he tried to, uh, over the course of time, slowly transform the promotion in Knoxville to where the fans would appreciate seeing a wrestling match as well as, you know, other types of matches and stuff and some more gimmick matches. And that's really what happened in Florida over the course of like maybe a year or two bear. Yeah, well, again, Jeff, you are you are 100 percent right, too. And this is something I that we've touched on or I've touched on, but I haven't gone full out. So I wasn't a huge Dusty Rhodes fan, and this is not smart guy, smart Mark, whatever. It just I always preferred the Jack Briscoe's, the Billy, you know, I, Billy Robinson is my favorite wrestler of all time. What does that tell you? Right. So I always preferred to see a wrestling match. I liked punches and brawling thrown into it. Uh, but at the same time, I like to see guys wrestle. There was also a believability factor, which you just mentioned. And when you watch a feud like, like, like Roop and Kern, the genesis of this feud was based off of Bob Roop insulting Steve's father, Steve's father, who had been a prisoner of war twice in two different wars. And Roop came out and called his father a coward. 
you know, it, uh, Gordon was saying something like, uh, you know, Steve, had, they were talking and Steve had said, my, you know, your father's a war hero. And Rube came out and said, he's not a hero. He's a coward. Anybody that's been captured twice. And, uh, you know, that this is one of the great angles. But what made it great was it was believable. It was you just insulted a fucking war hero. You know, and Bob's talked about it. He got death threats off of this. Guys had guns. They were shooting at him even. I mean, this is a really serious deal. But that believability factor with Dusty definitely took a big hit because Dusty was, and again, look, Dusty sold more tickets arguably in the state of Florida than anybody ever did. So from a business standpoint, it certainly made a lot of sense, but Dusty would do a lot of the ass wiggling. Dusty would, uh, you know, he would goof off. There was this goof off period. It was this charisma that he had, but at the same time, you know, do you ever see Jack Briscoe ever do an ass wiggle? Right. I mean, or, you know, like, uh, well, you or, know, it makes no, no, it, it makes me wonder, uh, you know, with the the highs that the business had when Dusty was really on fire, uh, you know, say Dusty would go out of town for a week and maybe the sure. business would suffer. So you would have more a high and low period where I I wonder with Jack and guys, like you said, with like Buddy Colt and Paul Jones, where there was that believability factor. Was there more of that steady line where the business was more consistent? That's, I, I definitely would have to give that some thought instead of just because that's the next. Hey, that may be the best question you've ever asked. So I, I, I want research done. Rogue. I know. I, I don't want to just give you some sort of flippant answer. I can tell you, I mean, the the genesis again of what you said was how CWF changed. And it did because what we saw prior to the dusty turn was essentially a different product to what we saw post the dusty turn to that end. You can't fight success. And the name of the oh, game. Oh, no, no, no. Exactly. The, the highs were absolutely. Uh, and it's selling tickets. And if Dusty oh, yeah. sells tickets and wiggles his ass, you're damn right we're going to put him on top and get him out there and make it happen. And that's what they did. It wasn't what I preferred, but yet you, you can't fight success. It's there. It was it was there. So I, I would uh, I, I I think there was a change. I, I certainly. <sighs> so are you talking nationally? Or just Florida when you no, say no, I'm that? No, talking just, just Florida. Because you may, here's the, the bigger question that may even be a better question, Jeff. Did the, did Dusty's face turn change the product nationally with the expectation of moving from wrestling to more of something that's a form of entertainment? That's, I really, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to hit the lemon kush tonight and give this a lot of deep fucking thoughts, so... Oh, well, yeah, it'd be interesting because Dusty did become a national act where he was going to the he garden, did. he was going to the Superdome sure. and all of the, you know, compare what sort of draw nationally Dusty became uh, as uh, opposed to the guy that everyone associates with being a national act, which is Andre. Now, obviously, Andre, like in places like Japan, was a much bigger deal than Dusty. But, you know, in places like uh, New York, uh, where is Dusty's name on the marquee? equal to that of Andre is Dusty's name on the marquee in mid South at the Superdome equal to that of Andre. It's kind of an interesting uh, food. food I believe product. it was. And yeah, I believe yeah. in my own opinion, again, just off the top of my head, I think there was a period of time where Dusty was equal to Andre. I would yeah. say from a national standpoint, you know, in Haystacks, Calhoun would have been that next tier, definitely not at the same level, but these guys that were touring acts in a sense, uh, which Dusty and Andre, you know, Dusty in Florida was solid. But for the most part, as you said, you know, he would go to Houston on Friday night, you know, and we always talk 
you know, CWF on Friday nights ran two towns, Tallahassee and Fort Lauderdale. And Dusty would appear maybe once per year in those towns because Friday night he was either in Houston or Atlanta, which were drawing huge crowds. Yeah, and we're, uh, we're giving him a better payday, obviously. To much be fair. better yeah. payday. But again, I think he also had the blessing of Eddie Graham. It wouldn't have happened if he didn't. So I had the blessing. But all these are these are interesting questions. Uh, speaking of Dusty Rhodes. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, 1980, teaming up with his old partner of the Texas Outlaws, Dick Murdoch, and Bugsy McGraw, who will be at the next CWF Legends Fan Fest, Jeff, happening November the 6th, 2021, in the Tampa suburb. Is it Lutz or Lutz? Even I'm confused now. I believe okay. it's Lutz. Yes. Taking place. Bugsy will be there. Have a He has a couple of copies of... Uh, or copies of a couple of his books. I believe he's put out three books and he's got at least two of them, but possibly that scrapbook that everybody raves about. Bugsy will be there. This was the main event, taking on a great heel team of Dick Slater, Ivan Koloff, and Nikolai Volkov. Semi-main event, a young Barry Windham getting the win over the magnificent Morocco. So we're now starting to see right about now in 1980, this is the rise of, of Wyndham at this point. Now he's getting wins over uh, Don Morocco, which is incredible. Great, um, stuff. great stuff. Moving on. 1981 funk brothers have returned to West Palm beach. Ladies and gentlemen, in the NWA world's heavyweight champion, dusty Rhodes, defending the title against former champ, Dory funk jr. Uh, and uh, that's an interesting matchup. But then, Jeff, I pulled up a card we don't usually get in the 1986 range. And there's a reason. Am I right, Jeff? That we there's don't do a very that? good reason. There's a good reason we don't do this. But, however, a couple of matches caught my – three matches caught my eye. And one is going to cause you to sit there and go, what? What? What did you just say? What? what? Anyways, what? exactly. Main event, Lex Luger. Uh, defeats the mass superstar in a Texas death match. By the way, both these guys in Charlotte this past week, I talked about Luger. I actually had a great conversation with the mass superstar. I will break kayfabe on this one right now. We are going to do our best to get the mass superstar and Barry Darso. And between the two of them, I believe there's something like 47,000 gimmicks. So I'm going to call them demolition, but they're the mass superstar and Crusher Khrushchev to me because I'm an NWA guy. They want to headline the next show in June of next year uh, in uh, 2022 at the CWF Legends Fan Fest. So we just need to get the ink on the contract. But a good chance mass superstar and, and Crusher Khrushchev will be your headliners at our next show. Uh, here's a match that caught my eye, but not the one that will have you scratching your head. Sean Royal wrestles Chris Champion. In a battle of the probably, future new breed. Yeah, that would have been interesting. And the opening match of the night, Jeff, at least I believe it was the opening match of the night, Tyree Pride. The Haitian sensation. Gets a win over a young and upcoming white ninja. Oh, good. Good God. The white ninja, ladies and gentlemen. Jeff, take it from here, my friend. Take it God. from here. Who are we talking about here? <laughs> oh, God. Tyree Pride over fucking Kijimudo. Oh, man. Oh, man. Who? Oh. I, I want to call Bob Roop and find out who the fucking booker was. Bob Roop was. <laughs> oh, man. Bob, I'm going to have some issues with you, my man. Yep. 
Oh, man. Kijimuto not doing the moonsault anymore because his doctor basically told him, if you do it again, you risk never walking again. I read that recently, Bear. So, yeah. uh, But what a career that guy's had that it spanned. Think about it. We're, we're talking about a guy that was just started in 85, and he's still fucking working, and he's working at a high level. You know? I, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yes. You were talking about Mike Jackson, but uh, – yeah. yeah. So, all right. Here's so that thing. let me let me ask you one last question, Jeff. And this goes right back to Mike Jackson because I sat there with a group of fans and we were having this conversation. How many wrestlers in their seventies have had good matches? And, and so, and, and let me also quantify this. Mike Jackson worked with a guy that he has worked with numerous times, uh, and they they knew how to have a good match. So, you know, he was with a guy that he was able to work with. So Luthez, do you remember that match that Luthez had with yeah. Masahiro Chono? Yes, yes. And yeah, it no, was, so it wasn't billed as a match. They billed it as an exhibition. Lou was in his 70s, but in my opinion, the match was terrible. It was not good. I give Luthez all the credit in the world at, in his 70s to be able to go out and perform. I want to say that it, was the early 90s, wasn't it? It was, it had to be like 90 or 91, right? It was really early. That would, but, have, that would have made his seventh decade, I think. That and was that's the why he did the match. it. Yeah. That's why he did it, exactly. But it wasn't a match that I would say was highly competitive. And Dory yeah. Funk Jr. is another one that's had a few matches uh, in his 70s in Japan. But at the same time, there's been a big drop off. Yeah, oh, sure. Mike, yeah, yeah. Mike Jackson had a, has there ever been somebody other than what I saw the other night? Uh, that's had a competitive match in their 70s that looked good? Not that I can think of right off the top of my head. Right. The group, if if you're listening and you can... Oh, trust me, there'll be somebody who... Somebody, uh, all right. I know. Oh, could you forget about the yeah. match that took place at the VFW in Jonesboro, Arkansas? You know, something like that. Yeah, yeah maybe it's Lawler. You know, Lawler still goes that's out true. there and has matches, you know? You're right. Yeah. But, uh, Anyway, okay, Barry, as we begin to wrap it up, I got two things to close out the show. First of all, uh, I happen to tell you, and you told me this is something you have done before, the wife and I, the other day going up to Dahlonega, which is about 20 miles uh, north of us, and we did a little tubing on the old Chestity River. And wow, we had a really good time. Six bucks, Barry, six bucks for the inner tube. They take you to where the river's you know, like the, the starting point of the tube, you go, it's not like rapids cause we've done rapids before. Uh, but, uh, just a nice, like a nice current that takes you down the river. And Barry, I think you said that you've done this before and had a really good time doing it. I think it's one of the most fun things I ever did. And, uh, the first time I ever did it, uh, I don't, I don't, I think I was kind of like ambivalent about going. I was like, yeah, whatever. And then probably 10 minutes on, I'm like, this is the greatest fucking thing I've ever done. And then this blew me away. There was a snack bar midway there. Somebody had a, and I guess they work with the tubing company. They had a snack bar and it's in like a pontoon boat but they actually had burgers pre-made, but burgers wrapped, but you could get a burger. And I did it. I'm fucking tubing. I'm eating a burger and drinking a soda. I just thought it was the greatest thing. The second time I went, we had friends come from out of town and it was a, 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 a convergence of two families. And I think there was like 12 of us. And because there were so many of us, you tie all your tubes together. And I got to tell you, I think tubing, if, if you've never done it, and even if you think, you have no interest to do it, do it because it's so much fun. Right, Jeff. It's like amazing. Yeah, and like I said, six bucks, they, you know, give you the tube, 
they drive you to the spot where it starts and you just kind of meander your way down the river. Now, this particular uh, tubing company we did, there's a spot where you have the choice. You either go all the way to the end and you're done or three quarters of the way, there's a spot where you can get out of the river, walk back and you do it as many times as you want. You just have to, you just have to walk. That's part of the gimmick. Or if you want to go all the way to the end, they'll take you back to the beginning, but it's like $2 for you to ride, you know, in the, in the car. Maybe that's worth it too. But right. yeah, it's just, and you know, like Kim and I were laughing that it would have really been funny if we'd have managed to, to videotape some of it because, you know, like, uh, some of the getting in and out of the inner tube as the water, you're trying to slow down the water and to say it was a, a little bit amusing there with Mr. And Mrs. Sure, yeah. Sure. So Barry, to close out this particular fine uh, podcast, did you happen to see what I texted you a couple minutes ago? I did. I did. It's a okay. receipt, but I didn't look at it. Okay. So here we have a receipt. Uh, it was receipt. Uh, I'm guessing Oh, uh, I don't know. This was obviously some sort of team celebration. I don't know uh, what team uh, or what or what the context of this was. But what happened, this is from June, I think, of 2011. The, the, the team in question or the party in question, the bill was for $156,679. That's a pretty hefty bill, Bear. Good tip coming for the waitress, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Slightly. So, so, so here's the question, and, and I'll post this receipt because it's pretty fucking amazing. Okay, uh, amongst the stuff, uh, we have uh, 18 Red Bulls, we have nine bottles of Grey Goose, uh, four bottles of Crown Royal, uh, 35 Jaeger bombs, uh, five Jaeger Meisters, 135 Bud Lights. Wow. 20 bottles of Moet. Uh, 67 bottles of Fiji. Apparently somebody just wanted to, you know, go uh, go virgin and just drink water that night. But so here's a question I have. When you have a bill uh, as, a, as a restaurant, first of all, as a restaurant manager, do you wrap top of your head remember the largest bill that, that ever came across your restaurant when you were managing? <sighs> I'm not going to ask for a specific amount. Just give me a general amount if you remember. Yeah, I want to say it was probably in a fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. Okay, so here's my question. Okay, this bill is for one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars, and I'm just going to use just this as an example. Okay, when they're spending over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, Barry. Okay, as an example, sixty seven bottles of Fiji water at four dollars each. At what point do you sit there and say, Ah, you know what? I'm going to give them the water gratis. Yeah. <laughs> is, is that something that's uh, in your mindset as a restaurant manager? It, it probably it probably depends on the situation. If not gratis, it's like, you know what, I'm not going to sit there and make sure that every bottle of water gets on the check. You know, at some point when you hit a certain level, you're like, yeah, we can probably toss them some free stuff. I don't know if I would say, you know, 67 it was 67 times four. That's like nothing, though. Right. You're right. Yeah, no, I no, but I'm saying you want to throw them a little bone if they're spending absolutely you did. Well, no, It sounds like they're got. I mean, when your check is one hundred and fifty, how many people was it? Can you tell that? Uh, well, I don't know how many people were there, but suffice no, to, if it's one hundred and fifty at first, it, this is this is my guess on this one, too. This was a an event where everything got rung up. It, it, you know, you just don't ring up a check for 150 grand. This is, you know, it's not a wedding though. My God, it's cost more than a wedding at this stage, but this is some sort of big event 
$24,000 in what is called service charges, Barry. Wow. What, what, what do you think that is? Well, that's the that's the tip and that's probably a manager cut. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. I'm wondering, I would love, I'm wondering where this came from though. There's, yeah. there's more to this. Story. Yeah, that's the kind of thing when you, when you, when you're getting some sort of cut at 24 grand, it's like, yeah, I'll stay late. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll work. Yeah. Whatever you need. I'll sleep over tonight. No problem. Exactly. So, all right, folks, uh, that'll do it on behalf of our uh, producer, the sweet man, Lou Kippelman doing the quick turnaround duty this week. And we certainly do appreciate Lou and his effort. Uh, I said duty. That's right. Said duty. All right. On, on behalf of, uh, fair to say, I think on this episode, uh, Zach Rose's father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we're there yeah, now. Zach Rose's father. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Jeff Bowden. They call me the Booker and Breaking Kayfabe with Bowden and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Lou, as we take it home, Barry, let's delve into the, some of those deep waters of that canal. What do you say, my friend? We're going. <laughs>